it wasn't an issue. No. What unnerved me the most was that terrible, familiar feeling of being second best. Of not being good enough to play with the big kids, or get the job, or win the award, or whatever was at stake. So even though the point of this interview was simply to see if Dennis and I would be a good match, I felt as if I was being judged again. What if I wasn't good enough this time either? I tried again. I began slowly. You know, you all keep telling me all the bad news. You don't even know if this kid is capable of forming a deep attachment. It feels as if you're trying to talk me out of this match. I stopped myself before I said too much. I was suddenly angry and I didn't know why. These people were only doing their job. And then it hit me. That was it. These people were only doing their job. At that moment, I realized that there wasn't anyone in the room who had the kind of commitment to Dennis that I did, and I hadn't even met him yet. To them, he was only another case to handle. To me, he was a kid who wanted a dad. He was the possibility of a family. It wasn't fair to unload my frustration on this committee of tired, overworked, underpaid women. They cared. It just wasn't the same kind of caring. I swallowed hard and swallowed my anger. Listen, I said, sitting forward, placing my hands calmly and deliberately on the table. After everything this poor little guy has been through, if he wants to think he's a Martian, I'm not going to argue with him. Actually, I think it's charming. This kid is alone in the world. He's got to be feeling it. At least this gives him some kind of a handle on it. The only one he's got. It would be stupid to try to take it away from him. For the first time I looked directly into their eyes as if they had to live up to my standards. Excuse me for being presumptuous. But he's got to be with someone who will tell him that it's all right to be a Martian. Let the little guy be a Martian for as long as he needs. Yes, thank you, the supervisor said abruptly. I think that's everything we need to cover. We'll be getting back to you shortly. My heart sank at her words. She hadn't acknowledged a word of what I'd said. I was certain she'd dismissed it totally. I gathered up all my papers. We exchanged pleasantries and handshakes, and I wore my company smile all the way to the elevator. I didn't say a word, and neither did my sister. We waited until we were in the car and headed back toward the Hollywood freeway. She drove. She sold real estate. She was in her car all day long. Maybe she could deal with surly traffic. I couldn't. Driving wasn't fun when there were too many other cars on the road. I blew it, I said. Didn't I? I got too full of myself again. Honey, I think you were fine. She patted my hand. They're not going to make the match, I said. It would be a single-parent adoption... They're not going to do it. First, they choose married couples, Ward and June. Then they choose single women, Murphy Brown. Then, only if there's no one else who will take the kid will they consider a single man. I'm at the bottom of the list. I'll never get this kid. I'll never get any kid. My own caseworker told me not to get my hopes up. His caseworker says there are two other families interested. Who knows what their caseworkers are telling them? 
This was just a formality, this interview. I know it. Just so they could prove they'd considered more than one match. I felt the frustration building up inside my chest like a balloon full of hurt. But this is the kid for me, Alice. I know it. I don't know how I know it, but I do. I'd first seen Dennis's picture three weeks earlier. A little square of colors that suggested a smile in flight. I'd gone to the National Conference of the Adoptive Families of America at the Los Angeles Airport Hilton. There were six panels per hour, six hours a day, two days, Saturday and Sunday. I picked the panels that I thought would be most useful to me in finding and raising a child and ordered tapes, over two dozen of the sessions I couldn't attend in person. I'd had no idea there were so many different issues to be dealt with in adoptions. I soaked it up like a sponge, listening eagerly to the advice of adoptive parents, their grown children, clinical psychologists, advocates, social workers, and adoption resource professionals. But my real reason for attending was to find the child. I'd already been approved. I'd spent more than a year filling out forms and submitting to interviews. But approval doesn't mean you get a child. It only means that your name is in the hat. Matching is done to meet the child's needs first. Fair enough, but terribly frustrating. Eventually, I ended up in the conference's equivalent of a dealer's room. Rows of tables and heart-tugging displays. Books of all kinds for sale. Organizations, agencies, children in Eastern Europe, children in Latin America, Asian children, children with special needs. Photo listings, like real estate albums. Turn the pages, look at the eyes, the smiles, the needs. Johnny was abandoned by his mother at age three. He is hyperactive, starts fires, and has been cruel to small animals. He will need extensive therapy. Janie, age nine, is severely retarded. She was sexually abused by her stepfather. She will need round-the-clock care. Michael suffers from severe epilepsy. Linda needs. Danny needs. Michael needs. So many needs. It was overwhelming. How do you even begin to figure who a kid might be from this kind of description? And why were so many of the children in the books special needs children? Retarded. Hyperactive. Abused. Had they been abandoned because they weren't perfect? Or were these the leftovers after all the good children were selected? The part that disturbed me the most was that I could understand the emotions involved. I wanted a child, not a case. And some of the descriptions in the book did seem pretty intimidating. Were these the only kind of children available? Maybe it was selfish, but I found myself turning the pages looking for a child who represented an easy answer. Did I really want another set of needs in my life? A single man who's old enough to be considered middle-aged and ought to be thinking seriously about retirement plans? This was the most important question of all. Why do you want to adopt a child? And it was a question I couldn't answer. I couldn't find the words. It was something I couldn't write down. The motivational questionnaire had been a brick wall that sat on my desk for a week. 
It took me thirty pages of single-spaced printout just to get my thoughts organized. I could tell great stories about what I thought a family should be, but I couldn't really answer the question why I wanted a son. Not right away. The three o'clock in the morning truth of it was a very nasty and selfish piece of business. I didn't want to die alone. I didn't want to be left unremembered. All those books and TV scripts, they were nothing. They used up trees. They were exercises in excess. They made other people rich. They were useless to me. They filled up shelves. They impressed the impressionable, but they didn't prove me a real person. They didn't validate my life as one worth living. What I really wanted was to make a difference. I wanted someone to know that there was a real person behind all those words. A dad. I would lay awake, staring into the darkness, trying to imagine it, what it would be like, how I would handle the various situations that might come up, how I would deal with the day-to-day -day business of daddying. I gamed out scenarios and tried to figure out how to handle difficult situations. In my mind, I was always kind and generous, compassionate and wise. My fantasy child was innocent and joyous, full of love and wide-eyed wonder and grateful to be in my home. He was an invisible presence, living inside my soul, defying reality to catch up. I wondered where he was now, and how and when I would finally meet him, and if the reality of parenting would be as wonderful as the dream. But it was all fantasy land. The casebooks were proof of that.